Hello friends, this is Katie and welcome to the Health Formation Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for tuning in today. If you are new to Health Formation, I am your host. I am a board certified ambulatory care pharmacist. I practice in North Carolina and I have a passion and a love for holistic and natural therapies that can be used in adjunct to traditional Western medicine. And I love cooking and eating and just bringing you all the information that I learn on my wellness journey. Um, So today, I hope that you are feeling as best as you can um, during this COVID isolation. I hope that you are trying to stay connected with others and getting your movement in, getting your vegetables in, and staying healthy. Um, But I'm actually very excited for you to be tuning into today's episode because we have a totally new topic um, for health formation, something that we have not talked about before. So today we have a very special guest. Her name is Michelle Myrna, and she is a licensed creative arts therapist in New York State, and she also has her board certification in dance and movement therapy. So she um, talks to us today about her journey in dance and movement therapy and her career and how she uses that to work with children with autism on the autism spectrum and how um, dance and movement therapy can be helpful for a whole gamut of different physical and psychological disabilities. And so I loved everything about our conversation and you may know that I'm a dancer myself. So that was, was just a really fun conversation for me and I hope that you enjoy it. So let's get right on over to our conversation with Michelle. Hello, Misha. Thank you for joining me today on Health Formation. Um, I'm excited to have you here and excited to talk with you about dance and movement therapy and learn more about you. Can you just start out by just giving us like a little background on you? Absolutely. Like where you grew up, where you live, that kind of thing? Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me, Katie. I, Being the dance and movement therapist, I forgot that we are on an audio medium, so I waved and smiled and then I realized that <laughs> that might not necessarily be seen to your audio audience. So I, okay, so I, uh, I grew up on Long Island, New York, and my path to dance movement therapy is an interesting one. I originally graduated and went to college actually at SUNY Purchase for costume design. I was in their design technology program. I stayed there for about a year and then I decided that that was not necessarily for me, but I wanted to stay in a creative industry. So I switched, I switched majors and then went to FIT and got my bachelor's in cosmetic and fragrance marketing because I loved, I loved the idea of self-expression and using whatever somebody felt beautiful in, whether it be blue eyeshadow or, or eyelashes or whatever, you know, like I wanted to help them express their inner beauty you know, in in whatever way they felt was beautiful. I wanted kind of like to help them match the outer to the inner and the inner to the outer. And then I remember uh, sitting at my desk, I was working at a a professional uh, cosmetics company in the city, in New York City. And I kind of thought to myself that I could be doing more. I 
I didn't really uh, feel satisfied in the amount of creativity I was able to put into the job and was able to actually do in terms of, of outreach. And a lot of it was um, like foundation matching and I felt I could be doing more. Where were you working? I was working in the city in a, um, in a, bigger, in a bigger cosmetics company. Okay, cool. These are just jobs that are so different than what I normally do that it's like interesting to me to think about like going to college for that kind of thing. I love it. (laughs) Actually, you know, a little sidebar, I would have to say one of the hardest tests I've ever had to do was for my fragrance class where they lined 10 different blotters and they said, okay, name the scents, go. And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Okay. This one's orange. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's hard to study for that type of test, because even if you have access to the lab, you can only kind of like smell so much before you become like smell saturated. Right. So I have to say that was an interesting, uh, interesting test I had to take and probably one of the, the harder tests I've ever had to it's do. It's kind of like when you go to Yankee Candle and you smell every candle and by the end, they all just like smell they the same. They all just smell the same. So after, after I left, I did um, I did a bunch of self-reflection. I did a bunch of uh, soul searching and research. And I found that there were three main things that I was looking to do in my life that I wanted to connect with a career. Um, the first thing I wanted to do was I wanted to assist others. I have a I do have a big heart and I really love being uh, a way to help really just to help people um, along on whatever journey they're on. I really, um, I want to give back because I've had so many people who have helped me. So it, in essence, I have a real drive to kind of pay that kindness and that guidance forward. Um, so that was one aspect that had to be, that, you know, had to be in a career. Uh, the second one was I found psychology fascinating and uh, human behavior and human emotion and how that all connects with the way that we live. I'm also a self-proclaimed science nerd. So, <laughs> so you know, I, I, I read research studies for fun. There was So there had to be like some kind of science. And the final thing was dance. I have actually been a dancer. I've been dancing since I was three. And I needed to have that somehow fit into my work. I didn't want to be a professional dancer, but I wanted to somehow have movement related um, to what I was doing every day. So kind of like you put all three things into a pot and you stir it together. And what do you get? You basically get dance movement therapy. It sounds like you found the perfect culmination of those three things. I did. I did. And I feel very, very, very lucky that I, I was able to, you know, come to that conclusion. And then I started looking at schools. And I decided uh, I live in New York, so I wanted somewhere that was kind of uh, that was closest to me. Um, and I decided to attend uh, Drexel University and I went through their two year master's level program and graduated in 2010. And then while I was at Drexel, I had, you know, um, part of the program is to have internships and practicums to get field work expertise and field work experience. And I was assigned to the Center for Autism, you know, a little bit outside Philadelphia. And while I was there, I I fell in love with not only the work, but I fell in love with the population. I fell in love with the kids. 
And basically that was my first practicum, my first, my first semester I did it. And that desire to, to be with and to assist and to be a, a, a part of um, being with this population that drive and that love never really diminished. So I ended up doing my internship on Long Island in a, in a special needs preschool. And then I decided that, again, I would rather stay with this population than find another possible open dance movement therapy position somewhere else, as in a maybe a clinic or a hospital. So I, I signed on as a TA and just to kind of stay in the stay in the school and to stay with this population and stay within the work. And I worked I worked as a TA for six years. It's a long haul. But while I was there, I really advocated for the importance of dance movement therapy with children on the spectrum and children who are neurodiverse. And they gave me the opportunity by saying, well, we would love to start with a fee-for-service Saturday program. So I ran 45-minute groups on Saturdays at the, the school that I work at. And they, the thing about dance movement therapy, and I'll get into it a little bit later, is I can, I can talk about it till I'm blue in the face and until you're blue in the face. But if you literally, if you see five or ten minutes of the work, you get it. And it kind of makes sense. We work with verbalization, but we really work with the nonverbal, you know, and, and that's the beauty of it. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, so they, they, they stopped in and they saw the work. And once they saw the work, they really started to really start to understand what it could bring to the program and what it could bring for these children. So you were working in the preschool as a TA, but not specifically in dance and movement therapy for your major, like your full-time job. You were TAing just in a regular teaching facility job. And then they allowed you to utilize your skills to work on Saturdays to do dance therapy with the kids. So how many kids started coming to those classes? I had groups of about six to at one time 13. Wow. So a lot of them. Yes. Yeah, right. So yeah. imagine that. It actually, I'm very, um, I'm very happy to say it picked up speed and it picked up. In fact, I was invited to do dance movement therapy on the Sunday respite program as one of their, what they call specials. So the kids come to me and we do a 25 minute session and then they go either back to the classroom or they go uh, to another special. So I was like part of their program where they would come and we would do a group together. Like a rotation. Um, so cool. from Finally, um, our school excited. Uh, our school decided to expand and open up a satellite site, another another site. And with that, our uh, adaptive physical education teacher had to go to that site. Um, so that left an opening for a gross motor program in our in our preschool site. And they had seen my work, and they had you know I had developed a, a following, and they offered me a full time position. And so I've now. Very proud to say I have been um, the full-time dance movement therapist for four years. That's awesome. Yeah. So you're in the same school. You've been in the same school this whole time. As crazy as it sounds, yes. It's hard to believe I've spent ten, almost 10 years there. That's amazing. But, yes. How old is, are the kids that you work with? Is it? You said it was a preschool? Yes. The, so the kids that I work with, um, our center, our center-based operations, has children from EI, which in New York, that's considered zero to three. I currently treat pro, uh, children who are two and a half right. to five. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So 
I definitely want to talk more about what dance movement therapy is, but can we talk a little bit about the history? Um, I'm sure you're a little familiar with like kind of how it came to be and like the background of it. I think that I would be interested to hear more about that. No, that is that is an absolutely wonderful question to ask. And in order to better understand, you know, anything that we do, it is important to to learn and to understand the the foundations of the practice as well as the roots of where we came from. So um, dance movement therapy, we grew out a lot of the modern dance movement. There were many different pioneers, but for right now, I'm going to focus on what who we consider our grand dame of dance movement therapy, uh, who was Marion Chase. She was basically our founder of dance movement therapy. I'm going to kind of walk you through um, some of her steps to kind of follow through on where our roots came from. But remember, I, I always like to kind of add disclaimers that while she was the main one, there were also other pioneers who are working alongside at other times and who also gave other contributions. So it was not just Marion Chase, though she did do a big chunk of it. Um, so Marion Chase studied at the Denishon School of Dance in New York. And then after that, she opened up a branch of the Denishon School in Washington, D.C. And as she was teaching, um, as she was teaching her students and, and doing her classes, she, she wondered why it was that people came to study dance, but really had no intention on being performers. That was a, a question that really, that she really um, played with in her head. And as she observed these individuals who just came for the experience of dance, her classes actually in her te- and her way of um, instruction and, and, and guidance began to shift to enable the movement to better meet their needs. The shifted for, focused on the person who was dancing rather than the dance technique, rather than, okay, this is what a, you know, a, this is what this looks like and this is, this is the exact shape of this. She really looked at it from the person point of view. How is this person expressing themselves through dance? What is, what are the, you know, emotions and feelings and expressions this person is using in my dance class, you know, and, and how are they expressing what what is currently, you know, either going on for them, whether they're currently feeling. So then in Washington, D.C., her reputation as a special teacher, as someone who, you know, uh, was doing things a little bit differently, spread. And soon pediatricians and psychiatrists were sending their patients to her class because she was wow. able to. Yeah she was able to really kind of start to formulate a way of meeting their needs rather than molding them kind of into dancers. Okay. So um, a big step. And what year was this? This was, um, this was around in the 1940s. Okay. In 1942, then, Marion Chase uh, was invited to work at St. Elizabeth's Hospital in Washington, which was a, v, a hospital for VAs. And she started a program there called Dance for Communication. And that became, um, and she really started to find and um, solidify some of the principles that she considered were essential to working in dance therapy. And I'll, I'll get there in a little bit. But she became the first, governor, the first government paid dance therapist. Wow. And then, so she worked at St. Elizabeth's Hospital for a while, and then she was invited 
to uh, lecture and to speak and to kind of spread uh, her new form of, of, of using dance as a, as a therapeutic uh, modality. In the 1960s, then, in the early 1960s, she opened up the first training for dance therapists uh, at the Turtle Bay Music School in New York. And then what really took us as a step forward, rather than a, a bunch of like-minded individuals, was in 1966, the American Dance Therapy Association was founded. And this is our professional governing body. This was when we said, okay, we are not just a group of like-minded practitioners and followers. We are a profession with, you know, with standards, with trainings. The ADTA advocates nationally and internationally for the development and expansion of, of dance movement through training and services. And Marion Chase was the first, um, was the first president. I was just going to say it's super interesting because it seems like a very women-based kind of profession and career. And it really started in a time when women didn't really work, especially in like the medical field or medicine. Like that was so male-dominated until... Yeah very recently. So it's really interesting that that whole thing started from a woman and like around women because when you think of dance, you really think of women. Like, of course, there's men there too. What was nice was our foray, um, our pioneers were really kind of foraying into this, not only dance, but also the mental health aspect that was mainly male dominated at that time. Um, And and almost taboo too. mm -hmm. Like mental health at that time mm-hmm. wasn't something that we talked about or you weren't allowed to have a mental health disorder. Whereas now I think it, we finally got into people are a lot more open about it, about it and a lot less private. But that took a long time. Yeah, we're finally we're finally, you know, getting that chisel in starting to break apart that stigma. We're starting. We're really starting to get we're not there yet, but we're really starting so I just want to mention for, you know, your listeners, if they wanted to follow up on anything that I'm saying, but I feel it's also important to mention that the other dance movement therapy uh, pioneers were Mary Whitehouse and Trudy Shoup, Alma Hawkins on the West Coast, and Blanche Evan and Lillian Espinek on the East Coast. Great overview, great background. I think we're good in that. Now I've definitely learned a ton from that conversation because I didn't know anything about this before. One of the things I currently, you know, I say a lot is, of my job is education. (laughs) Yes, that is that is so true. What we are and what we do, which is (laughs) so okay. So now, yeah, let's talk more talk more about what it actually is, what dance movement therapy is, because I'm I'm sure two different dance and movement therapists. I don't know the express themselves, I guess, in different ways, right? So I'm sure it looks different for different people. So maybe can you talk about that a little bit? You got it. Okay. So let's start out, you know, big, big umbrella, you know. Yes, I love it. 10,000 foot view. Again, our governing body, the American Dance Therapy Association, defines dance movement therapy as the psychotherapeutic use of movement as a process which furthers the emotional, cognitive, physical, and social integration of an individual. That's a lot. And I'll break that down in a second. But that's the overall definition that we all basically kind of practice under. So all of our all of our uh, approaches or different kind of theoretical underpinnings all use the psychotherapeutic use, which is basically the therapeutic, uh, the psychological use of movement 
as a way to help a patient or a client further their emotional or affect, cognitive, physical, and social growth towards becoming a more integrated whole. And when I say integrated, I mean where all parts and all aspects of of themselves are working in tandem, are working together, are working collaboratively, you know, where um, they have the fullest range of expression available to them. So that's kind of what we're all, no matter what it looks like or what we're, that's what we're all at the, at the, at the core of what we're, that's what we're doing. Okay. So how we do it and where we do it all can be very different. So one of the, the beautiful things about dance movement therapy is that it is very versatile in terms of what populations we can work with. And I can say we can basically work with anyone. And we have worked with almost all populations. We have worked with those, um, obviously, with like with, with me, we've worked with children, with uh, neurodiverse children. We have worked with the elderly who might be suffering from dementia. We have worked with those with Parkinson's. We have worked with those who are physically disabled. All of those areas are able to be, are able to uh, be reached by dance movement therapy. So, and it's, you know, one question might be, well, if a person can't move, how, what is that? How do you do a dance movement therapy session? That's, that's not going to work. And I could see where that would, you know, that would come up as a question. But one of the beautiful things uh, about dance movement therapy is it's, it is about the movement, but it's also, and it's really important, like this is like key number one principle. It's all about the therapeutic relationship between you and your, and your group or you and your client. And it is within that therapeutic relationship that growth and change can occur. So even the smallest movements, whether it be, you know, if all they can do is wiggle their fingers or if all they can do is blink their eyes, the dance movement therapist has been trained and has really honed their skills so that they are able to take those small movements and use them and reflect them in in an empathic way to be able to use those movements to build a relationship with that client and that person, and then to be able to help them um, explore whatever movement range is possible. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I was reading something about it too that and people were basically saying like you think people think of it as you have to be up and dancing and like a good dancer to do it, but you can even just start with like breath. Exactly. And even breath is movement and that is like powerful to help people therapeutically. Exactly. Exactly. In fact, one of the things that I also like to say is that no matter who you are, you can move and you are moving because your heart's beating. If your heart's not beating, sure. you're not moving, and you might not necessarily be with us. <laughs> True. On this, plane, on this plane, you might not necessarily be with us. Um, so movement is inherent in everyone. Right. Whether, you know, whether it be internal movement with the heart and the breath, or whether it be more of an external, you know, um, limb, whole body movement that allows us to work with all these different populations and all these different needs. And 
you know, the power of movement is that it's also nonverbal. We can work with those who don't have language or who have yet to develop language. We have those who have lost language. We have those, we can, we can do a dance movement therapy session if we speak two different languages. So it kind of has the power to transcend that language barrier. And cool. it also has the power to transcend a learning curve, if you know what I mean. You don't have to learn movement. It's right. It's innate. It's it, it's innate in us, you right. know. So that's kind of one way I like to look at it. When you're assessing someone, or when you're doing like a dance and movement therapy session, like what are some of the different kinds of things? I guess you could talk about it from your perspective with your students or your the children that you work with, or just in general, whichever is sure. For you. Well, uh, a lot of us. Um, sessions can look differently, but I would say, you know, and this was formulated by Marion Chase, again, Mm -hmm. from one of her principles, is she created kind of like a three basic structured part of a session where you have a warm, where you have a greeting and a warm up. Then in the middle, you have what is called theme development, which is where themes might arise in the group, or that's kind of like where the crux of the work kind of happens. And then you have a cool down or closure part of the session. So the warm up is basically a a check in, a greeting, and starting to just get the help the body and to help kind of ground into the session, I'm here, you know, and just getting the body warmed up to start to move. So it might be uh, little movements. Uh, another popular, or not popular, but another technique is to use rhythm. Clapping hands, yeah. tapping knees is a very organizing rhythm, and that helps us to organize both internally, mentally, and physically. And once we're organized, we're able to kind of really take in what's going on. Some dance movement therapists do, um, they start from the feet and they go all the way up the body and warm up each part of the body. Again, a lot of these things uh, will really depend on the population that you're working with, but some of these things are are straight through. Uh, some of these things, you know, kind of have a line through where we all greet and make sure to check in with our, with our patients. We all, you know, um, help them in whatever way they are currently expressing themselves or just moving or being to begin to um, kind of open up to the session. One way I like to think about it is if you're wearing like a sweater or, or a coat, the warm up is kind of like taking the zipper and slowly pulling the zipper down. Another thing that's very important in the session, and especially in the warm up, is to make sure you establish what's called a therapeutic container or therapeutic um, way of holding so that, so that the client and the people who, and the, you know, the group that you're working with feel a sense of safety to be able to express themselves that, you know, sometimes my, um, the emotions that might come up will be held. They are safe to express these obviously with safety, you know, safety comes first, but that they will not, that they felt also psychologically held. You know, the warm up is also really about making sure that container and, and that holding is 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 there and that and that's the job was one of the main jobs of a dance movement therapist is to be able to provide that hold now the container the great thing about the container is it can go really big and we can use the whole room but then the container can also shrink and it can be really small 
So it's kind of this wonderful, we start to get to this expansive movement and then this coming back in and then this expansive movement and then coming back in to check in. It's this, it's this ebb and flow of in, out, in, out, in, out that allows, you know, for regulation. Um, another thing that the dance movement therapists will do during the warm up is my, uh, my supervisor has kind of coined it as a, um, a little antenna, like a movement antenna. And we dance movement therapists always have our movement antenna. I'm, I'm doing the antenna thing on top of my head as if you could see. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> always, we always have it up and we're, we're looking and we're picking up on things, movements that and feelings and emotions that are happening. Then we use that antenna, that movement um, to kind of guide us and kind of show us, well, where do we, where do we need to go next? Kind mm -hmm. of, it's very, it's kind of, it's hard because the, the dance movement therapist has to stay in the present, but also needs to be able to pick up and think on their feet as well. And, you know, relying on their training and also relying on our bodies. What do we feel in our bodies? Cause our bodies give us information too. And the dance movement therapist also needs to be able to be in, in, in touch with their inner emotions as well as their inner, like, how does this feel in my body? But also be able to help us to connect with what they might be feeling in their body, or at least in, inform us. Like, hey, I feel like this. Do you, do you feel that way too? Like, how does, how does that body, you know, this, ooh, this makes me feel really kind of itchy and squirmy, you know? Does that make you feel itchy and squirmy too? You know what I mean? And, and, and use that as, as, as a way to connect. Again, that's using their movements. I'm reflecting their movements and how they're moving back to them to show that I'm with you. I'm connected to you through movement. Again, using that therapeutic relationship, establishing that therapeutic relationship and kind of using that to, to kind of start to work on things that might come up in a session. Um, sometimes, and I know this is particular with my population, again, the neurodiverse uh, population, I might go in with a plan and be like, okay, well, I think, you know, from past sessions, I really would like to work on, you know, group unity as well as being aware. And if they come in and they're all in distress, guess what? My plan is going out the door. Oh, yep. Because you know what? Again, it's also about what is happening in this moment and mm -hmm. how best support this individual or this group in this moment and help them to you know regulate move forward like what do they need it's really a, a, an assessment of what what do they need right now and how can I provide that what interventions can I do to help meet their needs and attune with them so that we can continue our work together the warm-up actually now talking about is very important after warm-up is is uh, theme development so this is where some of the real work might happen, because now if you, if you think about the coat metaphor, the coat's kind of unzipped and it's a little bit off. And now you you're able to start to access some of those inner emotions. You feel safe. Your body's warmed up. And now, you know, they you might uh, select uh, a, a piece of music or what might happen is one person in the group might start a movement and the rest of the group might kind of reflect them along. I, I should have said this in the beginning and I, I apologize, but the, um, the structure of a circle is also very important um, because the, the circle allows all of us to be seen 
as well as all of us to be on the same um, on the same level of each other. Um, so most, I know I always start up my groups in a circle, and I, and the circle again is very important. In a circle, you can also be able to interact with everybody versus who you could only see in front of you, or versus me, you know, sitting and then everybody else in a line facing facing uh, facing me. That's kind of like a teacher student relationship. That's not the relationship that we're kind of looking at here. It's it's everybody's kind of on this, you know, enveloping page, if that makes sense. So theme development, sometimes an, another approach, it's used uh, a lot in individuals. It was by Mary Whitehouse, it is called authentic movement. Authentic movement is when it's, it's where you are moving from the unconscious. Um, the dance movement therapist will sit to, to one side and they are considered like a witness. They, they're there to witness the movement. And then the mover or the client will kind of close their eyes and start at whatever position they want to. So it's, it's a moment when the individual kind of relinquishes control and choice and allows the self to move. Almost like meditation. Kind of, yeah. It's like where you don't, you just allow your body to move without right. thinking know. about it. Exactly, exactly. And that can be difficult. Um, but authentic movement. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's more of the rather than I move, it is more I am moved. I am moved right. by this inner impulse, this inner, you know, what I mean, this unconscious. And what comes and develops from that um, can be. Uh, then a source of discussion after the after the session or after that exercise or intervention between the therapist and the client. Well, you know, how did you feel? What were you thinking of? You know, where do you think this came from? You know what I mean? How did you feel? I, so we ha- we can help them go pack and kind of through the body and through the movement be able to reach back into something that might have been either traumatic or that really. Um, might be held on to tightly as an emotional memory and then be able to kind of talk about it through, mo- you know what I mean? And then have a, a way of moving through that. So then we might, explore, sure. you know, we might start, you know, in a ball and then we might ask them to explore, you know, what is it like if you stretch out your arm? You know, how does that feel? Oh, that, you know, that that feels a little scary. Oh, oh, okay. But what if, what if you just do one finger? You know what I mean? Or, or when we, we would be right, you know, we could be right there. Again, I'm showing it to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> we <laughs> I like it right alongside them, you know, doing it alongside them. So that, again, they don't feel alone and right. they feel supported, but you know, and so we'll play with that, you know, play with, with poking out of this, this defensive or this protective ball and that might be a theme for, you know, um, how they, they feel in life, how they might deal in relationships, how they might feel in their career. And, you know, working through moving and poking through this ball and moving an arm or moving a leg or moving a toe. And then, you know, one of the other main constituents of um, dance movement therapy is that there is a body-mind connection. Oh, yeah. And this is, you know what I mean? And that it's not a one-way street. Mm-hmm. It is not mind over body and that's it. There's another way, body to mind. And we, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so while most conventional therapies might, you know, go, might access the mind to help the body, we go and we do it the reverse. We say we can, we can work and help and help the mind through the body and through and right. using move to reach those very hard to sometimes describe or talk about experiences. The mind-body connection thing is one of the things, I mean, I find very interesting. Hold on to that. I read your mind. <laughs> Hold on to that. So now, okay. okay, we've warmed up, we've we've done some, and sometimes we might not do some great emotional exploration. It just might be a session, you know what I mean? Like, and that's okay. Yeah. You know, to expect, we don't expect these huge emotional breakthroughs in every session. It might be right. five or six sessions before that starts, and that's, that's okay. So I didn't want your audience to feel like it's not a session unless we have these huge emotional breakthroughs. You know what I mean? It, especially with my population of neurodiverse population, you know, with working with neurodiverse children, I might be working them with them for, you know, six months, and then I, you finally see the, the glimmer of, of connection. And that's okay. Right. That, that's okay. But you know, to know that that's the other thing about being the dance movement that we're in it for the long haul. You know, we're here to support you however long that takes. Um, so closure. Closure is also really important because closure is about, okay, we've just, you know, opened ourselves up and we've done this exploration. But to walk out into the world like that is very vulnerable. You know, you've mm-hmm. just kind of allowed access to parts or feelings or emotions that within this self environment, within the safe environment that, you know, is not technically ready for the, the outside world. And, you know, we need to make sure to maintain safety. And with that, we have to close up the coat, put the coat back on and safely close up the coat so that the client feels like they're ready or the, the child or whoever we're working with feels ready to go back into the world. Um, to go back into an environment and back into, you know, um, the environment. So with that, we might do a verbal closure. We might, you know, we might do, um, I know with my children, I have a goodbye song. I also have a goodbye little ritual where um, I, I go to each child and I ask them what they want for lotion on their hand. And they'll tell me um, like a happy a lotion, happy face. I've gotten, you know, Paw Patrol, but it's a way for, and it's a way for me to check in with them again, to make sure that they're regulated and ready to go back and, you know, to kind of do uh, an individual closure with them saying, it's time for us to say goodbye. I can't wait to see you next session. And it's, again, it's the physical closure, but it's also the psychological kind of, and I don't, maybe not closure, but a psychological, like coming back together to be able to prepare, to be able to be prepared to go back into the world, you know, and also to signal that this is ending, especially for my kids, it's important. They need to know, you know, it's helpful for them to know when things are ending. So that, yeah, basically that's, that's what it looks like. A greeting, right. a kind of some type of warm up, a theme development, working on goals, working on things that come up and uh, a closure, uh, an ending, a uh, goodbye kind of like a three-part type of session right so I, I know I've been telling you a lot about what dance movement therapy is and there's one important distinction and this is kind of really like a point with me is that 
dance movement therapy is different from dance as therapy. Okay. A, a lot of a lot of people kind of get them confused. Okay. And there, there's a difference. Yes, dance is and can be innately just healing within itself. You know, you're alone in your apartment, your favorite song comes on, you start to do a little groove and dance and you, you're feeling kind of good. Or you go out to dance with friends or, you know, there's a, at a wedding, you know, sometimes you see people dancing in a big group. Yes, dance in itself can be innately, can be innately healing as well as movement and exercise. The difference between dance as therapy, and we can we can kind of um, we can kind of cap not capitalize, but we can kind of use that. You know what I mean? Um, there are dancers who go into um, who go into you know elderly homes and they run little you know dance classes, and again, just moving can be innately you know feel good uh, exercise. So the difference is that. We as dance movement therapists are able to take it on a psychological level because we are psychologically trained to be able to work and use movement as an intervention to work on the deeper levels of self-functioning and self-work, you know, being able to move forward in psychological growth. And that's what I do tell people a lot is dance movement therapy is first and foremost a psychological therapy. We are not like PT. We are not like an exercise class where they are moving to prescribed movements, you know, and they're mostly a body-based exercise versus a psychological work, which is what we're doing. And it's more structured, it sounds, too. It, it, it is and it isn't. That's the beautiful way. That's the beautiful thing about it. We are, because we're trained in, in psychological approaches, we are able to create that whole, remember I, told, I talked to you about that holding structure? Yeah. And we have the ability to, because of our, of our training, uh, to hold that for our clients. And so, yes, there is a structure, but there's not in terms of, I don't have a dance that I'm teaching you. I don't have a step right. or Zumba routine I am teaching you. So it is also... It's not rigid, but it's structured. Exa- that's it exactly. It is structured, but not rigid. So <laughs> while, on the other hand, dance is therapy, may not be as structured, but they are kind of rigid. And I'm not, right. I'm not knocking the, those no. classes. They are Mm-mm. wonderful within themselves. They are, and they can, I'm, you know, you can absolutely go to one of those and feel, you know, have a, an increase in, in affect and, an in, you know, in positive affect and an increase in motivation. That's fine, but it's not therapy. And right. I, those who are not really aware of our profession say that they're doing dance therapy. I, I get upset because they're not, because they don't have the psychological and the psych training that we have. And, you know, of our ability to walk and help a client through those types of issues and and, um, those types of things that we're working on. So I just wanted to actually really kind of get that out there because that is consistently a misnomer between dance as therapy 
and dance movement therapy. Sure. We all have our soapboxes about our profession. I'm yep. sure I could get on mine about pharmacy yeah. and talk to you about it all day. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. So now we'll step down from the soapbox. So did you want to talk a little bit about like some of the different like disease states, I guess, or the different people that we can use it for and what like some of the data says? Let's get into the nitty gritty. Let's Okay. Let's get into the research. So the, what I saw when I was looking at some some data, I saw overwhelmingly like the most structured studies were looking at it for Parkinson's, which I guess it's easier to kind of measure than for autism spectrum disorder. You might have more subjective changes, but it's hard. They're harder to measure, I would say. Well, Is that true. That. The thing, and the other thing about dance movement therapy, and this kind of will lead into the research, is that it can be, it can be difficult to measure because a lot of our work is intrinsic in a way, and mm-hmm. there's no, um, there's no manual for what we do. And a lot of, a lot of the dance movement therapy research really needs to be done by a dance movement therapist. Because, and again, this is another, it's a mini soapbox, but it's a, another important point. And I think it, it uh, really speaks to some of the uh, research, the, the decrease in the amount of, not decrease, but the, the amount of research that's able to be taken on is that dance movement therapy is a profession. It is not an intervention. It is not a technique. It is not something that a mental health, you know what I mean, a licensed professional counselor can use in their session. You know, it's not something that uh, a cognitive behavior therapist can use in their session. It is on its own a profession. A session. Right, right. Okay. I, and I think that provides tricky, uh, you know, it provides to be tricky um, because it can't be measured like an intervention can in terms of that that type of thing where it's like I did one session and I used dance movement therapy in my session and I did another session where I didn't and we compared the two because it's not it's not that cut and dry. It's 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 a whole profession onto itself. You also it's very difficult to kind of write like a manual where somebody can pick it up and be like, okay, so when this happens, I do this and you always do this when this happens. You know what I mean? Like we are get, I, I've seen some dance movement therapists, uh, when, especially when we're getting into some of the higher levels of research. We have two, um, we have two Coltrane collaborations that have come out. And for able, and the problem is to be able to do some of this higher level, you know, higher level, R, we can't really do an RCT, but that type of experimental research, you know, part of that is to have a manual of, of you know, how to, how explicitly, right, exactly, how explicitly to do this. Mm-hmm. And I, as you can hear through our interview, there isn't one. There's guidelines, and you know, there's theor- and, I, and I, I told you about the, there's theoretical underpinnings that are there. Right. But I can't always say, you know, when a child moves left, I move right. Right. You know, or, or and something that's like what's that. hard about like when you're writing a protocol or a study, it's supposed to, you're supposed to be able to duplicate it, and this you can't duplicate. Exactly. It was, it was very, very hard to do. Exactly. So, and again, these, and if you're going to do it, it needs the, the research needs to then be, if you're going to say, okay, well, 
if you know a, a licensed professional or or another type of therapist or another type of researcher can't do this work because they haven't been trained in this work so then it only needs it can only be done by us mm-hmm. as movement therapists mm-hmm. and while many may enter the field as therapists not all of us are researchers so now we're drawing from a very small field already because there's not a lot of us now we're, we're we have to reduce almost even further to those who want to or can do research. I'd like to say that's part of the reason why our research isn't as voluminous as some other, you know, some other fields. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I am proud to say that we do have a good chunk of work if like you and I were talking a little bit about, about, if you know kind of like where to look. We do, we have, we have, Uh, done a bunch of work but again in a field or in the medical field that's driven by levels of evidence a lot of uh, currently although we're really making some strides to to get into some of those higher levels uh, because we see the need for it we see the need to be able to document that we are effective you know in these evidence-based times of medicine um Mm -hmm. But a lot of our initial work, you know, came from anecdotal studies and case studies and single case studies that really in that in that level system right now don't have a lot of scientific evidence based weight. Do you know what so, I mean? Yes, I have a question. Yeah. So in general, is dance movement therapy covered by insurance? That breaks my heart. Right. Say that no. We are not covered. So that Right. So then you kind of need this data to be able to support, to say, like, pay for this because you're going to see improvements in these patients. And then it's hard to get the data. So it's another, it's like the same struggle that we have as pharmacists because overwhelmingly we're not reimbursed for our like chronic care management that we do as pharmacists. Our work is all like fee for service of putting pills in a bottle and that's what we pay people get. But that's very, very small representation of what we do as doctors of pharmacy. So we're in the same struggle. Exactly. (laughs) That's, you know, that's it exactly. And, um, but again, knowing what we have to do, we, you know, the dance movement therapy community and our researchers have really started to ramp up trying to not trying but really trying to pin down exactly how we can we'll never be able to do an rct i don't think i don't think that's ever happening Mm-mm. but in order to get the highest levels of evidence that we can out there so right. in general and this was taken from um our adta website and research on effectiveness I'm going to read this uh, straight from it. Overall, there has been uh, DMT outcome research conducting using various forms of clinical trials to demonstrate benefits which, uh, with the following outcomes in populations. Demonstrated that we can uh, produce outcomes in mood, in increase in mood, depression, anxiety, right. virility, uh, self-concept, esteem, body image, and that was shown in cancer and children, social relationship skills um, in anti-violence and bullying, uh, capacity for empathy in terms of staff caregivers, stress management, uh, self-regulation and trauma work, um, academic performance and reading fluency, uh, readiness, in, readiness for parenting in pregnancy support, 
uh, medical, psychomotor, and neurological functioning in fibromyalgia patients. Um, so those are just a list of some That's of That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. In, in <laughs> some of the areas that we have shown that we've shown that we've been able to um, reach and work with. So right. I'm just going to quickly take you through, and this was very exciting um, for me when I, I really kind of like dug into this. So uh, one really huge through line that we've seen in the research is health-related uh, psychological outcomes. And one of this, uh, what kind of started this was uh, a meta-analysis done by Cruz and Savers, and they found that um, the effect size of dance movement therapy was more effective than um, was previously reported. And they state that these that the effect sizes in the in the areas of anxiety, self-concept, body awareness are are comparable to other uh, psychotherapeutic and medical treatment modalities and its ability to make changes. So it uh -huh. wasn't, it wasn't a direct, like, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy versus dance movement therapy in its own, um, within its own modality, the, the effect sizes that CBT had been reporting at the time, we matched their effect sizes, right. saying that essentially we are, if you're comparing effect size to effect size, we are just as able to um, help these positive outcomes as sure. So then a very, very well-known uh, dance movement therapist researcher, she's fabulous. She's produced so many different articles, uh, Sabine Koch. Uh, Sabine Koch uh, et al. in 2013 took that study and updated that work, and they performed a meta-analysis um, from when they started up until of the effect of DMT on psychological outcomes. And they found that DMT is effective for increasing the quality of life and decreasing clinical symptoms such as depression and anxiety. Positive effects were found for the increase of subjective well-being, positive mood, affect, and body image. So we took that, that original, what we found with Cruz and Savers, and then Koch et al. built upon that and said, yes, you know, uh, we did another analysis and we found, you know, similar outcomes, strong, similar outcomes. And then the most exciting is Sabine Koch um, with other researchers in 2019. So this is like right hot off the presses here. Updated that study, that 2013 study that I just read for you. And they did a meta-analysis on everything that was um, done between 2012 and 2018 to add to say, okay, now here we've got this new batch of studies. Let's put it into the same parameters as we did for our 2013 study. And they found empirical evidence that DMT consistently, so across all these years and across all, all different aspects, improved affect-related psychological conditions by decreasing anxiety. So that was one thing that read straight through through the three studies and depression and increasing quality of life. So what basically Koch et al. in 2019 is basically saying is that we have consistently shown and now have some beginnings of empirical evidence that we can have an effect in increasing anxiety and depression and increased quality of life. That's awesome. Three, yeah, through three uh, meta-analysis. And again, really exciting. They also, um, Koch et al. in 2019, 
also reported initial findings that DMT interventions have persistent long-term effects. In some ways, what really matters is can these change changes hold up over time? Coca out in 2019 showed initial findings that they can have long-term effects. Now, this is like That's brand awesome. new. Yeah, this, uh, again, there's there's much more research that needs to be done in terms of long-term effects. I don't want you know to say that this is 100%, but we found we started to find the beginnings of empirical data that we that our interventions do hold up over time. Again, disclaimer: lots more needs to be done to make sure that that is completely proven but the the beginnings are there so i just wanted to say that even though you know a lot of our stuff may be on the lower levels of evidence we are and this is my example of showing that we are ramping up our ability to show these empirical evidence and the fact that we have been able to hold up these things from 1998 to 2019 that we are been our, our intervention has stayed consistent in being able to produce these outcomes as based by these meta-analyses. Well, I was just going to say that's, I mean, I feel like that even is another reason that that is great is because even our drugs that we have to treat depression and anxiety sometimes aren't that good. So, you know, we know from the depression guidelines that only 30% of people respond to their first SSRI that they try for depression. I mean, that's pretty abysmal. So one in three people are going to have a, a response. And so if we have these other modalities that can help these people, maybe in addition to medication or in place of medication, doesn't have any side effects, people will feel better. We need that all the time. Exactly. I, I totally agree. And I Really, when we look when we look at a client or we look at a person, we need to look at all aspects of them, and we need to, as part of the treatment team, you know, really work in collaboration with others, you know, with oh. with other modalities that that or or other interventions that that person is currently going through. If they're on a medication, and you know, we start to see a, a decrease in symptoms, and the dance movement therapist can start to really get work done because those symptoms are going down. Do you see what I mean? It's like it's we all have to have this open discussion because we can all yes. uh, not one of us can completely heal a uh, you know completely heal a client. It's just it, it's it's not possible. Well, yeah. and our our healthcare system is way too segmented. Like oh. we need to have so much more of a holistic way exactly. to care for people because everything is so like your body is so integrated and one thing affects everything else in your body. And we as clinicians in 2020 are trying so hard to look at everything so individually and so segmented yeah. and I yeah. mean I say this all the time, but you go to the endocrinologist and you go to the cardiologist, but you need somebody to look at your whole person. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, could it possibly be, uh, you know, integration? <laughs> We're right. looking at integration of things and, you know. I mean, even look um, at like something like IBS where stress impacts how you digest food and how you're in your bowels and gas and all of those things like you can't say the gut and the brain aren't connected and then that doesn't impact your entire body because exactly. it does exactly it's a two-way street mind body connection is a two-way street i think that really kind of highlights yeah you know, i love where it. we are um so i have one more question 
if someone's listening to this and they're they think that they are a healthcare provider that has a patient that they would like to refer to dance movement therapy or they're a patient and they want to try to explore it for themselves how do they find someone that might be able to help them that's a great question i would recommend that they go to our again the american dance therapy association our website which is www.adta.org and you will see that there is a list or a directory of providers and you can you can search by state you can search by name and um, they will give you a list of providers Uh, it's really kind of you can base by state base by name you know to see who's around you and then there should be a contact information for that dance therapist Okay. Well, that was easy. Yeah. I would say that that would be the best way to, to reach out again, as with all medical professionals and with any type of, um, you know, including anybody onto your treatment team, uh, call them, talk with them, see how they feel, see how you feel, you know, kind of what, ask them any questions that you may have, you know, kind of see if they're a good fit for you. You know, again, as with any type of, of, adding a new doctor or a new therapist onto your treatment team. Perfect. Um, Okay, so I always wrap up with the same question. So my final question is, what is your one health and wellness tip that you would like to leave our listeners with today? You know, just experience movement for movement's sake. Whether it just be the breath, whether it just be wiggling the fingers, whether it be a jumping jack, whether it be a whole pirouette with eight fortes after it, you know what I mean? Whatever movement feels authentic to you engage in it as much as you can for however long as you can and just just be in the movement i love it well i am so appreciative katie thank you for having me on i i there are no words thank you so much my appreciation and and you know for me to be able to to bring this to your audience as um you know, as a, as a, as a treatment form, as a, as a profession, if they have any questions, again, I refer you, um, about how to become a dance movement therapist, which we didn't get into, but that's a whole nother section upon itself. (laughs) You know, I really ask them and, uh, direct them to, um, like I said before, www.adta.org, our American Dance Therapy Association. It is a wealth uh, of knowledge. It is a wealth chock full of resources. You can find studies and you know fact pages on different populations that we work with and i really you know you can find out how you can become a dmt what that journey looks like i would direct them to that to that web page awesome that sounds great i'll i will link that too um, in the show notes for anyone who's listening so that you can easily access that website but thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Um, it was I learned a lot, and I love talking to you. I will talk about dance all day. I dance myself. I'm a tapper, which has been put on hold because of COVID. But someday we'll we'll start dancing again. <laughs> exactly. Now online dance classes. That's yes, thing, that is. Yes. Again, at least you can move. True. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Stay safe. Thank you. Stay healthy. Thank you. Bye.